All right, so normally we end with it doesn't make sense. But because we're talking about debt, I just had to. Please. He just lost all credibility with me. I just saw a thing where he was asked, hey, if you could borrow a billion dollars at 0% interest for 10 years, would you do that? And he said, nope, I would not do that. And the person said, but you could invest it today at 5% interest and make $50 million a year for 10 years. That's $500 million of free interest. True. And Dave said, nope. I do not want to be in debt. I got to be honest. That's a load of crap. <laughs> you would turn down $500 million of free interest, then your credibility is shot. So that one tickled me to death. I'm just like, and he would like, so we call him Voldemort. So Voldemort was so like adamant. Yeah. Like no debt. Did you see like, the clip? Did you see the actual clip? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and these two, and it's like two younger guys, and they're like they're baffled because they're like, why would like no? This is perfect. Yeah. Like not only will you make the money back, you'll but you make the money back with interest, and, yeah, and they're you like, can just pay it back. Is it really debt when there's zero percent interest, and you could go put that in something to make money? Yeah. And he was just like, no. And so then this guy who does other financial stuff, he was like lost all credibility like there's no way hey everyone and welcome to what's up with money an ongoing conversation to help make sense of today's financial confusion i'm ryan a writer and millennial who's asking the questions i'm ronald philosopher and financial advisor who's giving the answers from outdated 1980s financial advice to magic social media strategies we aim to shine a light on what's really helpful lessen financial anxiety and better understand money thanks for joining our conversation as we ask, what's, what's up, up with money? It was just so iconic with him of how, like, like he is so fixed on his thing. Yep. And, and he kind of has to be. Like, Well, we were just talking about he has a brand. Yeah. Man has a brand, and he holds true to it. Well, you, know? you can't backtrack on it now like he put he painted himself into a corner yep and that's just where like the logic of it just well that's the whole thing i've i've read i've 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 read his book uh and it's it's very much like no matter what the situation never be in debt yeah no matter what the situation and so of course he's going to say that would he what would he actually do who knows if he was actually, if that was, uh, if that scenario became true and he privately had this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I don't knows? know. Just but like he probably has whole life. Yeah. He probably he does. He probably have does have whole life. life. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that man's life is not insured. Yeah. <laughs> Which by the way, that was a new voice. That was a new voice. So this is a great transition into our episode for tonight. Ben, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm Ben, financial advisor. Happy to be here and make some magic. <laughs> That's what we do. This is an international podcast. This is. We are in four other countries aside from the U.S. Yeah, that was one of the criteria that I looked up. I know. You were very out. hard so to get. We need to be international. <laughs> but yeah. this conversation is different than the last one. It is. Because we introduced the idea of uncollateralized debt, which... Do you want to give us a refresh on what uncollateralized debt You want means? me to? I do. Oh, my gosh. See if you learned. Uncollateralized debt is debt that does not have collateral. 
Can I use the same word in the definition? <laughs> sure. On this podcast, you can. Uncollateralized debt. We actually had a, didn't we have a definition of what yeah, collateral thanks means? thanks to Investopedia. What was that definition? I don't remember. Oh, man. You're supposed to know these things. Can we ask Google? Uncollateralized, I got it right here. Collateral is the assets which are pledged as security for a loan. So basically, if you have something you can borrow against, that's collateralized debt. Uncollateralized debt are student loans and credit cards because those are not backed against anything. All the way that those lenders, lenders, would that be the appropriate term? Lenders lend their money is, uh, or make their money through that loan is high interest or high amounts of, of money lent out. And that's what I remember from last week. That's great. And that's the one that can get people into a pickle. That's the one that, that's the one that made Voldemort Voldemort. Exactly. Because it's all about cutting up those credit cards. Yeah, he went Lungardia and Leviosa or whatever. He, uh, he went, he, he uh, went Avada the, Kedavra. Yeah, on, on those credit, on cards. credit cards. Avada Kedavra. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> But also, speaking from a, if I was a lender, you know, I would rather not have the uncollateralized debt. If I was lending someone money, I would want collateralized debt. You would. Debt. Oh, yeah. But credit cards, right. they, they obviously can't do that. So, so they have to... <clears throat> Rely on yeah. Would you ever? Would you ever create a credit card company? No, no. (laughs) I mean that's just pure evil, right? But But the points. But the points. No, the flights, the air mileage. But yes, but that takes us to collateralized debt. Collateralized debt, which this is, in my opinion, where. Like we mentioned, you know, most of the debt conversation, because people just use the term debt generically and don't distinguish between collateralized and uncollateralized, then you get these wildly different perspectives on debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so collateralized debt is actually quite an amazing thing and is often misunderstood, which is why we want to talk about it. Because when you see people on your social media talking about how they love debt. Yep. Or you see, you know, my rich dad talk about yep. how much debt he's in and things like that. It's all this type. It's collateralized. Right. Which is very, very different than... Right. These guys aren't taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars of credit card debt. This is they're borrowing against property or other types of... Why don't we, that's, a, that's a good way to start this. Why don't we talk about what are the general or i guess normative types of collateralized debt that people regularly use yeah you want to take a step car loans car loans mortgages okay you know anything anything where you're borrowing with an asset attached to it basically yeah so if you don't pay it off there's something besides your income that is pledged like in the definition that is is there to you know, be there to sort of borrow against. So, right. And most commonly what you're seeing with some of these are all of the fancy real estate strategies Mm -hmm. of how you borrow against the value of your house or your rentals or, or other properties. That's a pretty common one. Right. And then the, the trick is, and this is how it can be used well is you borrow that money not to, buy 
things. Yeah. You don't go to the, the mall with, right, your, right, right. with your collateralized debt. Right. You buy other assets. And so that becomes sort of the game. I think I think how I like to explain it is you turn your you can turn your liability into an asset. Mm. So if you have a car, let's say it's worth twenty grand and you paid it off. Awesome. Voldemort's happy, right? Mm-hmm. But now you have twenty grand of you know, I like to think of where do we store cash? And cash is stored in assets all mm-hmm. the time. Right. You have twenty grand sitting in your car and it's but do you have access to it? No. You don't. It's just sitting there. And it's probably depreciating unless you have a classic car or something. Well, I was just gonna say like that a car is every day it's depreciating. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Unless you have a VW bus that I sold. Yeah. You know? I should, you should have done that, right? Because it's like <laughs> fifty grand now or something. And I had two, so but yeah, it, it so so what you can do is now now technically that car is a liability unless mm-hmm. you're using it for a business some other generating income sort of thing. But what you can do is you can say, I'm going to refi this car, which means I'm going to take a loan against the value of the car, find a lender, you find a bank, say, hey, this this car is worth 20 grand. I'd like 10 grand or 15 grand or whatever they want to give you. And they say, sure, here you go. You can do that? Yeah. I've never heard of someone doing that. I've yeah. never in my life thought to use my car as collateral for a loan. Yeah, I mean, why? I mean... Besides, I mean, access to capital, I think, trumps any sort of interest payment, you know, obviously, unless it's like variable 30% or whatever. But, you know, but yeah, if you have 20 grand sitting in in your car, you know, I mean, I mean, why would you pay it off and then just let it sit there and depreciate, right? Right. And it doesn't make sense. But you can do that with the house. You can do that with the business. You can do that with like your stocks that you own. Even like, like we mentioned Elon Musk yeah. borrowing against his Tesla shares to well, buy we, yeah. X. Yeah. We've talked about how Walt Disney took a loan out against his life insurance policy. Yep, that's another good place to, where you have collateral. Yep. So, But the car, that blows my mind. I never thought, because because with the car, all you do is think about, man, I can't wait to get this car payment done. Mm-hmm. And then I've never thought to voluntarily give myself a car payment, you yeah. know, yep. after it's all said and done. But if I need a good 10 to 20 grand... And that's, and that's why when I when I meet with clients, I, I look at a I look at their assets and I yeah. say, "What are your assets?" And they're like, oh, "Okay, I have this in IRAs, this cash, whatever." And I'm like, "No, no, no, like everything." Do you have? Some people have a couple hundred thousand dollars in cars, boats, RVs, all this crap. Wow, just sitting there. What's it doing? Nothing. I use it once a year or whatever. Even if they have a hundred thousand dollar car paid off, you know. Situation where you have a hundred thousand dollar car paid off, right? Because mm-hmm. you got some big bonus or whatever, and you bought a fancy car, cool. But now you have, but you have like thirty thousand in credit card debt that you are unable to pay off. Mm. Just go get a loan at five percent, seven percent, whatever a car loan is, right? Over seven years, that's way less than thirty percent interest on your credit card. Yeah, you know. So, so it's really not about. It's about using the assets you have turning them into or liabilities because the car is a liability because it just costs you money, but turning it into an asset. Wow. It's restructuring. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Now I'm trying to think of what I could use my car for. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep trying to borrow against my children. Yeah, but <laughs> but you, can if get, you, you can get kidney loans, you know? Yeah. No, kidney I'm, loans. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there you go. 
But this is one of the things that people oftentimes misunderstand about the debt game that I don't know that social media and stuff does a, a good enough job of explaining. Because mm-hmm. what really they're looking at is interest. And so if you can borrow money at 5% and make 7%, you that's c- a gain. You come out ahead. And in that case, it's good. And so when you can borrow money at 7 and pay off 30%, then you're you're really winning. Yeah. And so this is where what happens is people will look at like a car purchase. Like I actually just did this with my parents last year. Mm-hmm. My mom wanted to just go buy a car in cash. And I was like, no. She's like, but I don't want the payment. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what happens. People don't want the payment. Right. And, and she didn't want the interest. But I told her, if you take money out of retirement to buy a car, one, you probably have a tax liability. Mm-hmm. Two, Gonna trigger a taxable event. You don't want to trigger a taxable <laughs> event. Don't want to do that. So, and then the second thing is you take money that's earning and you turn it off. Essentially what happens then is you trade money that might be earning 8% in exchange for a car. Right. And so to leave that money still earning 8 to take on the loan, which you they're able to pay for it, and the loan ended up being like 2.5%, 3%. So the net gain on that was like 5%. So, But most people, because they don't want the payment, mm-hmm. will then and don't want debt, quote-unquote debt, then... They'll take money and stop it from earning and put it in something that that isn't earning. Yeah. Which is a negative situation. Well they, so, they fundamentally traded an asset. Yep. For a liability. For a liability. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so then that becomes and so it's like, no, you want you want the car payment. Yeah. At three percent. Right, right, right. So that your other money can make eight. Right. But a lot of people are like, no, I don't want the payment. So then they stop the eight, but they're not thinking about that exchange that they're doing when they trade. Yeah, we've talked about this. It actually has made me be very much okay with payments, Uh you know, because it's like, because I recently bought a car and it was, it was one of those situations where it was like, okay, do do I pay this all up front or do I take the payment and use the rest of the money for, yeah. for various things? And, and it was actually super, it was, re, it was a huge relief when I was like, oh, I actually have all this money now. Yeah, because yeah. that's the other thing people do is they'll go, oh, I don't want the payment. So they'll take a lump sum of money, even if it's just cash. Yeah. And they'll buy something. And then they give up their capital. I mean, Ben just said access to capital is really important. Yeah. So it's like if you had something come up where you needed $5,000, you can't get it because it's sitting in a car. Right. As opposed to if, and you got a pretty good deal on your, you know, on your payment structure Mm -hmm. on your car. So in that case, having the money available to you is more important than the money being in the car. Right. Yeah. And that's something that people fail to realize until they're in a need for capital. Yeah. And, and it really is like the one thing. And I think it's behind some of Voldemort's philosophy of like having capital, like not having obligations is a, is a freeing thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But there's ways to do it. Yeah. That, 
that make a lot of sense. I also just thought of, I think I told you this, uh, I have a buddy who has um, a pretty nice car and he was leasing it and then he decided to purchase it. He like leased to own. Yeah. And he put down like 20 grand, like right then and there for the car and like paid it off. And he was talking to me about it and I was being really supportive, but and, and he was like, yep, yeah, paid it off. Don't have the car payment is very, you know, awesome. But in my head, I was like, oh, dude, you just gave him 20 grand. In my head, I was like, there yeah. are so many things you could have done with that money. Yeah. I mean, let's say so that, many things you could have done. Let's say that car payments 500 a month. Yeah. How many car payments do you have to then save yourself to get back to 20 grand? Yeah. You know, it's like several years right. of now that behavior of putting that money aside just to get yourself back. Yeah. And then you better give yourself money back with interest or because else, of inflation. Yeah. yeah. So he would have to pay behind. himself back with like three to five, probably 5%. Yeah. Back, uh, yeah. to make that meaningful. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is one that, when that happened, that's when I knew that this podcast was helping me out because I was like, Oh, now I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking outside the box. Yeah. Have you ever thought about cash? being a liability and what do you mean uh i think cash in our definition for this podcast makes a lot of sense as a collateralized debt you mean like having like a physical dollar bill on me yeah or in your bank account making zero percent point zero two or whatever in my checking you know or in, or in like a traditional savings yeah but why is that a liability because of inflation the value of your dollar is always decreasing. So there's no static money, right? Right. So it's either increasing or decreasing. And if it's not increasing above the rate of inflation, it's decreasing, right? So cash is a liability because you have this collateral debt. You have this. It, how I tell people is pretend the cash you have, let's say you have 20 grand in the bank, 10 grand in the bank. Pretend that was loaned to you at the rate of inflation. And all of a sudden, they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, that's what it is. It's literally losing the rate of inflation. There's mm -hmm. interest on that money of the rate of inflation, you know? So they're like, and then they, the light bulb goes, and they're right. like, oh, my God, get rid of the cash. <laughs> Where could I put it? But that's also the cash inside of your assets. Your house is paid off, right? You have all this equity in your house that you're not using. Like, that's cash being stored as well. Mm -hmm. Your house, even if you... And we'll, we'll probably get to this soon, right? But even if you borrow against your house, your house value is still appreciating or depreciating depending on the market. But, right. but it's, you know, you get to use that money. So, you know, all the money that's inside of your assets and your banks and your whatever that like is underperforming, like just, you know, you, it, you need to realize that it's debt. Yeah. We've talked, and we, Ron and I, we've talked about this before where that I, that in, to, to, to take inflation into account, we've talked yep. about when you're paying yourself back, pay yourself back with interest mm -hmm. uh, and how that can be a huge game changer in terms oh, yeah. of, of, of wealth gain. Uh, but, but what you just said, Ben, about money's never static. It's either increasing or decreasing in value. That's, that has never really, I, I think that's been the most succinct way I've, I've heard it told. I don't think I've ever really thought about it in that clear of a, a sentence and like clear review. Yeah. I mean, people think cash is static and that's why they like it. They think yeah. it's not because they're not seeing it go down. Right. 
but then you're like why the hell is a watermelon like twenty dollars now right yeah because yeah. It, <laughs> your cash is your cash going yeah now, right? and i think that's you know that's one of the things you know we ron we've had an episode about emergency funds yep and though emergency funds can give you peace of mind um that's why you have kidneys. That's why you have kidneys. You know, I got two lungs. I can I, I can take a loan out on one of them and be fine. Uh, I, don't, I don't think anyone would want my lungs. Kind <laughs> shot. But that's kind of one of the downsides to having, especially if you have a rather large, because there's a lot of gurus who tout having, you know, rather large emergency funds well, for, if you, if for peace took, of mind. If you took six months emergency fund and you spend... $10,000 a month or $6,000 a month or 5,000 a month. You're talking about having like 30, it's a lot of money. 50 grand. And that's going to take a long time. Cash. It's going to take a long time to accumulate. And you probably, you might not even ever hit that number because more likely than not, you know, funds, money's fungible. And so yep. you're going to find ways to spend that money. Even you may earmark it as an emergency, but, but something's going to happen where you're going to be like, man, I really need this, you know? Well, and it's the idea that most people still have this idea that cash in the bank is the only liquid cash. And it's like, no, there's so many different places you could keep well, money. I just discovered my car can be liquid. And exactly. so that was quite an eye-opening yep. experience. Yeah. But that this is to say that the emergency fund, the downside is that that very well is, you know, if you have that, let's say you have 50 grand for, or 30 grand. You said 30 grand. Let's say you have 30 grand emergency fund. Yep. Let's say you, you leave it at 30 grand. Don't touch it. It's in like a traditional savings that's earning 0.01%. Mm -hmm. So it's not really getting a whole lot. In 10 years, that 30 grand isn't going to be worth 30 grand. No. In 25 years, it's going to be worth 15 grand. Exactly. You yep. know, and so that's not going to do you a whole lot of good. Yeah. And depending on what things you need to buy, it could be even worse. You know, like from the time I started driving, gas is five times more money a mm -hmm. gallon. So in in that case, the inflation rate on gas went up way more. Right. And and different things like that. So and that's where it's important for people to understand how to utilize and get access to money. And there's lots of different places that people have stored it, whether it's a home or car or the bank, and then how to better utilize it for financial progress. Right. I mean, I, I can then see a situation where people just buy yachts or plots of land or something just to like put money somewhere so that they can take a loan out against it mm -hmm. later. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, everything you have to understand, like where is a store of value in what I'm buying? Mm -hmm. And then at times when you need it, how do you leverage that to get access to money for something else? So, and then how do you, I think we'll talk about this in the second half, but how collateralized debt builds wealth. And mm. which is what most of the, the gurus on the other side of Voldemort are, are talking about and how they utilize it to exponentially increase their, their assets and their money and their, and their things. All right, we are taking a break in this. We are taking a break in this collateralized debt discussion to talk about our "What's Up with Money" book choice, book club 
Well, it's not even a book this time. It's an article. Article club. It's an article club. And it's called All the Financial Gurus Are Wrong. <laughs> yeah. Financial Gurus versus Economists. Yes. Where um, an economist by the name of, um, is it James Choi? Did I yep. Mean? Yep. James Choi. He and his cohorts went through the top 50 financial books, best-selling yep. books. It was actually the top 47. He talked about yeah. how three of them didn't really line up to to what the, the study was and basically compared them to classic economic advice. Yep. And it's fascinating. There is an article in the Atlantic that talks about it that's mm -hmm. a lot more palatable than the actual study <laughs> itself. I tried reading the study. It's yep. very thick. It's not even that many pages. It's just uh, full of economic jargon that I had to look up some terms it, myself and my brain hurt. It's a dense academic paper. So in that, in that sense, I apologize. Yeah. In the sense of the article? The, the Atlantic article, great. very easy to read. It's, it's not that long at all. Yeah. But it basically talks about how all these gurus, when it comes to like mathematical sense, are doing it wrong. Exactly. And how the economists are. But one thing I will say, because I read I read the article and I, I haven't read the full paper because <laughs> it takes a lot of discipline. It's dance. But one thing that that James talks about in the paper is and it, 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 it's more of a subtle like nod to it than actually really talks. Well, I guess. But what they might be able to learn from these books mm -hmm. about human behavior because yeah. one thing he touches on is how is why do these books sell so well yeah you know like the the one that they talk about in the atlantic and in the paper and i believe you've talked about before is the idea of the dead snowball mm -hmm. i think we talked about this last yep. week where um the way that the gurus talk about the dead snowball isn't actually economically sound like it should be your you know, tackle your highest interest rate first yep. rather than the lowest overall um, debt debt yep. that you have. But the whole reason that that works is because it creates a habit. It creates, you feel a sense of accomplishment when you pay off that $1,000 loan first yep. as opposed to taking years to pay off that $100,000 loan and then tackling the $1,000 loan. And by that point, the $1,000 loan is probably done anyway. And so it, it's kind of one of the things that they that they compare is the what works behaviorally and what works economically. Yeah, and oftentimes those two things are very different very different when i was reading the paper today that i that i noted because this is something that Sydney and i do is that our savings we have things earmarked for certain purposes yeah right so like this portion of money is going to a house this por portion of money is going to a vacation this portion of money is going to christmas gifts at the end of the year you know like everything kind of has a place where Ec economically they don't do that because money is fungible yep there is no economically there's no reason to have things mentally banked like that you just have a lump sum of money saved and that's really what makes more sense economically whereas behaviorally it does make more sense to kind of mentally bank because it gives you a purpose to save rather than just saving for the sake of saving yeah 
you know, and, and I, so I find it re reading these and, and seeing that I find very interesting, like why the dry economic, like right brain reason, right? The right is the mathematical side, right? I think is what they say. I forget which one is which, but that one of them, one of them. Does yeah. It. Why that doesn't necessarily help when it comes to your average, you know, Joe or Josephine, yeah. you know? Yeah, and it's such a weird thing because I oftentimes think about how can we bridge the gap between those two? Because that would be the best. Yeah. To do what's behaviorally works as well as economically more beneficial. Right. And, you know, we find this oftentimes in like meeting with clients. You can literally show them option A and option B. Option A, they end up with way more money but behaviorally it takes some other muscle than mm -hmm. they currently have. It's uncomfortable. And then they'll take yeah. option B and I'm like, that's, that's way less money. And it's like, yeah, but it's the one I understand. Right. Cause it's that's the one. It's the, it's the one I get. Well, it's like exercise, right? If you do the same exercise all the time, weekly, monthly, yearly, you're not going to feel sore anymore because your, your body's used to moving in that particular way. You'll, you'll, yeah. you'll gain, you'll be able to lift more, so-and-so but the second you vary you know you you have a variant to that exercise you know you do like side lunges as opposed to front lunges suddenly your muscles are working in a completely different way and you're sore that you you, you know yeah. your hips are sore your inner thighs are sore like you're it's, it's it's uncomfortable yeah to and it's unfamiliar it feels awkward you don't know if you're doing it right Okay. And it's, it's kind of the same, like, you, you know, I think muscle was an apt analogy there because I think when people use money, they exercise in the same way all the time. So when it's like, do something different, they're like, ah, ah, I, am I, I don't know. Like, yeah. this is weird. You well, know? And it, it, it's like, why do people keep money at the bank? Because it's what they know. It's what they know. Yeah. And they like looking at it and seeing the dollar value. Oh, it feels really good to look at your bank account and be like, man, I have Ten, that much money. Yeah, like, let's say uh, there's 10000 there, and we'll talk about it in this episode, but it's like, yeah, but that's losing value. But yes. the numbers stay the same. Right. And, like, even if people, even when people understand, people get the idea of inflation in their real life, but when they really look at, like, their bank account, they don't think about saving having a bunch of money at the bank is terrible yeah it'd be a lot different if your banking app had a little like uh side counter that showed how much your dollar was, was devaluing yeah, yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that would yeah. that actually might be that actually might be great to to invent yeah for people but ben what do you think you know what i, I want to add to that is is uh everyone's talking about inflation right now how it's so high right cpi is whatever eight percent but do you know what the CPI is? Consumer price index. Right. So they take like a thousand things that people buy and they say, what's the average, right? What's interesting is I probably don't buy a thousand things and you probably don't either. Mm. So what you can actually do, which you'll never do it, but you know, <laughs> it's just a ridiculous amount of work. But right. you look at your actual things that you buy and you look at the rate of inflation of all those things. And you actually calculate your CPI, your inflation rate. If I if if the price of eggs have doubled, but I'm not buying eggs, it doesn't affect me at all. Mm. But if I buy a lot of gas, 
right? Mm-hmm. Which I don't because I have a Tesla. But if if someone buys a lot of gas, right, then they their overall value of their money has gone down significantly more than someone else. Right. So your own personal inflation could be a lot different. I, I, I guarantee that's an exercise that no listener here is going to do. It's just it's it's wild. To think about. That is that is what I did not realize that about the cpi because i do every now and then look it up look up the cpi but and there's different ones there's 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 ones for there are over 65 because you're there what they're buying is completely different than people under 65 that's true so yeah yeah that's wild that's wild but yeah this this article just really really has you thinking of like one of like okay if this is what the economists are doing this this what i should be doing yeah because like you know? they, they'll even talk about like a concept like co-holding like you know voldemort's strategy is to have a thousand saved as a right. baby step and then pay off your debt that's backwards there's no reason to hold a thousand dollars earning zero percent when you have a debt of any sort mm-hmm. it's actually mathematically better and financially better to take that thousand dollars and yeah. pay off a thousand dollars of the debt. But I think this is a very fundamentally important understanding of what these gurus are selling, right? These yeah. gurus are not selling economically sound advice. These gurus are selling behavioral habits. Yep. They are telling you, hey, you don't know what you're doing. Here is something that you can be doing to make mm-hmm. you feel better about your financial situation. Yep. I think most people are doing nothing. <laughs> so then this and is no that's very so true anything is actually better. i was doing nothing and i was doing nothing and then i picked up total money makeover and then i was doing something yep and i felt better about myself and it was better yeah it was better well, until i realized that i could be doing more and that's yep. when i started talking with ron yeah but exactly. but um, yeah and then one thing i wanted to add too was what i do with clients is they say okay look this is how you pay off your debt you got 10 grand and all these different loans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 18%, 2%, whatever. Doesn't really matter. Um, and a lot of times it's funny, they got 10 grand in savings. And they're <laughs> and I'm like, what's happening here? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. they're like, well, if I use it, then I won't have any money. <laughs> like, yeah, but not only is your cash losing to inflation, it's also losing 18% over here. Yeah. You know? And so I basically, I tell them the sound thing to do is to actually pay it all off. Yeah. But I know logically I wouldn't even want to do that. Right. Right. So I say, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to make you do anything. How much are you comfortable paying off or pay it off over the next three months? Mm-hmm. But let's say you move that 10 grand of, of savings over to the 10 grand of debt. Now you have $0 and zero debt and something big emergency comes up, right? Mm-hmm. You still have a credit card, still have That's access true. to capital, but over here you have access to capital and you have, so you're negative in two places now. If, if you end up you know, just right. spending that cash on your emergency. Right. Right. But, but I give it, a, I give them a choice. Yeah. Yeah. How much are you? You make them feel empowered about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And it all goes back to the uh, sort of the thesis of the the Atlantic article that all the financial gurus are wrong because they treat everyone as if they have no willpower. Yes. But that actually might be why they're correct. And I think that 
goes back to even like one of our, you know, like I think our first book of psychology of money, there's such a different relationship, different behavior, different thing when it comes to money. Well, again, that's the whole ethos of this podcast is being mindful about money. And those books are being sold to people who aren't, who are being mindless. Yep. Those, that's the audience for those books. And it's it's easy to then take a step-by-step generic thing and start to do it. It's very easy to be told what to do. It's very easy to be told what to do. And then in the real world of economics and the real like sort of financial planning and strategy world, you realize there is no yeah, step by step. I know. And that's scary. When you yeah. realize that it's very scary yeah. because you're like, well, shoot, what the heck do I do then? Yeah. And you kind of have to figure it out on your own. And that's when you have to look inward exactly. Exactly. <laughs> at your own situation um but yeah all the financial gurus are wrong who wrote that article i forget the not not the not there's james Choi did the actual research but who wrote the article in the atlantic do we have that i did in the notes last time in the notes hold on this is going to take me just a couple seconds to find derek thompson all the personal finance books are wrong yep by derek thompson and then popular financial advice versus the professors by james j Choi. We have them in our show notes linked, so check them out. You can also just Google it, but fascinating stuff. Yeah, gets you to think for sure. Definitely. Well, let's get into that. Let's get into that. So, So you saying that collateralized debt can increase wealth. And like you said, we've heard of... You know, Rich Dad saying that he's like, what, a billion dollars in debt and never been happier, right? So what? what? (laughs) (laughs) You laughed. Ben chuckles in the corner. So so what's up with that? Like, what's what's going on there? Why is he so stoked? (laughs) I I think it's, there's like, even what he says is there's good debt, good debt and bad debt. And so it's, it's about learning what kind of debt you have, how to, how to leverage it. And how to, you know, basically repeat the cycle. So, you know, for, for the example with a house, right? So let's say you buy a house, half a million dollars. Okay. Because right? we're in California. Half a million dollars is... It's going to be a lot more than a half million, million dollars. Okay. <laughs> so, easy math, right? So easy math. So 500,000. Let's say you put down 100K, whatever. Okay. So you, you have 100K of equity, right? But the bank isn't going to let you take that 100k out because they want a certain debt ratio or it's called loan to value Mm -hmm. loan to value so uh they want you to basically keep a certain percentage in there it's probably around 20 percent. okay uh i'm just talking you know run-of-the-mill loan but okay if you were to refi they would say you can't take anything out because we want at least twenty percent, sometimes fifteen. Sure. Whatever. So you 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 would have need to have paid off at least a hundred thousand on this five hundred thousand dollar loan. Or like, let's just say it's your down payment. Okay. You can't go around like the next day be like, hey, can I have my money back? They're gonna be like, no, we need They're this. Like, no, yeah. we need some collateral, right? Because they they the you know they need time for the house to like appreciate in value for it to be worth more. But so, anyways. Now, let's say 10 years down the road, the market's up. Your home is worth a million. Let's say you've paid down another 100000 Okay. Okay. So now you owe three hundred k on a million-dollar million. house. Yeah. So the question is, how much equity do you have? 
Theoretically, 700. Right? I was going to say 700. Well, yeah. How much access to capital do you have? Well, if they need 20% and the house is worth a million dollars, then they need 40 grand? They got to keep 200 grand in the house. 200, that's what I meant, 200 grand. So you can borrow most likely up to 800,000 <laughs> minus what you already owe, which is the 300. So you could probably refi and take 500K out. Okay. So suddenly have access to 500K. 500K, right? Yeah. And so this is what people do. They're, they're, not that this is bad, but they'll, they'll take that, they'll go buy liabilities. They'll go remodel their house. They'll mm. do, you know, go on vacations. They'll whatever, you know. Right, they're, they're, they'll fund a lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's a, you know. It's a choice. It's fine. Yeah. But what Rich Dad Poor Dad has done, right, Robert, he's done take that 500K, you know. Buy another place. Buy another asset. Yeah. He's done that so many times that he's like, yeah, sure. I'm a billion in debt, whatever, you know. It doesn't matter because he's learned how to leverage you know, mm-hmm. his assets. Right. So he's, he's taking that, that, that equity out. And there, there's another thing you can do with the house is um, a HELOC. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. I've talked to Ron about HELOCs before. And, and what's cool about a HELOC, and I kind of recommend it for anyone, is because you don't have to take the money when you do the loan. It can just be a blank check that you can write to yourself at any time. So let's say I did How this. How does that work? Let's say I did this HELOC. So it's a million... The same scenario, right? Okay. Kind of like think of it like a credit card. You don't have to swipe it. Yep. But you have the credit limit, so you could go at any time. So the bank gives you a gives you a like a five hundred thousand dollar a line of credit line of credit line of credit. Yep. And so you can go at any point. Yep. And use that. And let's say your house. So let's say you did it, right? Yeah. And the and the way they they make money on that, right? Is they say um, they're going to take a fee. So out of the 500K, they're going to only give you access to 480. They're going to take 20 grand as a fee. Okay. Okay. Whatever, 480. Um, but now, basically, let's say your house market goes down and your house is worth 800K. You still have 480K access. They, they don't take away that loan. Nice. And so it's like an amazing tool because whenever you need it, it's there. You don't have to take it, and it is a variable loan, so it's not like a long-term sort of thing. But mm-hmm. it's just an amazing tool you can have, and you had literally just have it there sitting. And you can use that too for any investment that you might have, or any venture that you I might mean, be going into. They technically have loan terms where you're supposed to use it for your house. You know, oh, you're supposed to use it for the house. Technically, okay. You know, just like you're supposed to use, you know, your school tuition for books and things, sure right but right you find a way around it right? <laughs> yeah. life finds a way right yes <laughs> so interesting but, interesting and so this is how people build wealth quickly or maybe not quickly but they're able to then buy leverage essentially they take the cash from one asset to get another one now they've got two assets working for them could you use the HELOC for another property? Or do you have to use it for the property that the HELOC is taken out of? So there, there's ways around it. But technically, you're, like loan terms say you're supposed to use it on the property. They want you to increase the value of their uh, okay. collateral. So like you, do, you remodel is the idea. But right? you can just like technically write a check to yourself. There, there's a way around it. Oh, okay. You, you know, don't really need to worry about it. And so, and so HELOC is a way that people do 
to to suddenly get an influx of cash. Yeah, for cheap. They for cheap. essentially buy cash at that interest rate. So when you get a lot of cash or buy cash at that interest rate, then you're able to take that cash and leverage it to buy something else. So here's what you do, okay? Take your 500K, 480, right? Mm-hmm. Go buy a property, right? Mm-hmm. Outright, okay? So about a cheaper property. Get a renter in there. Six months, right? You're now showing rental income. You refi that property to a traditional loan. You take the 480K back out. You put it. You pay back your HELOC. Mm. And then you, now you have another property that you didn't have to qualify for. And you got a renter paying it. Interesting. And Robert's done this a hundred thousand times. So right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so then you have cash just coming in to your system because in, in his case he's got lots of apartments, lots of rentals, lots of different things mm-hmm. where essentially someone else is paying the obligation. Right. But what is also happening is they're paying the obligation, but he also has things that are growing in value. And so then he can continually go back and be like that $500,000 home is now worth six. Can I get another hundred grand? Can I take it? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't. And this is, I think a fundamental thing about, you know, whether it's cash or money or debt or all this stuff is the people that build wealth to build money. Every dollar is at work and, and they keep it at work. They don't leave it in things like a home or a car they try and get those things and have them working. And most, and properties, I think one of the most common places because it, it sort of a, is an asset that over time always is growing. Right. And it can be an asset that is active in the sense that you can have a renter, hopefully if things work out right, a renter paying the debt service down. Sure. And so that's why that's why you see so many things about these rental strategies and buying Airbnbs. And mm-hmm. that's why it's so common is because it, it can work very, very well in a collateralized debt situation. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. So yeah. And then every time they build up enough to then get another asset, they do. Yeah. And then now they've got three, four, five of these assets working. And it could be different things. It could be it could be businesses. They use them to start a business so that it generates more revenue. Use it to fund a a project that's going to, that's going to have a a good return on investment. Mm-hmm. These different things. Uh, you can even use it to deploy money into the stock market. Or sure, you know, a lot of people like in two thousand eight when the housing market went down, pulled money from everywhere they could to buy as many properties as they could. Right. Because they were essentially on sale. Mm-hmm. You see people do it with different things. Like during 2020, when the stock market went down, you had people pulling out of their whole life insurance policies to buy the mm-hmm. stock market when it was down. Mm-hmm. Then the market goes up after March of 2020 to December 2020. They pull out the money, pay back their loan, and then they just made money for nothing. Yeah. And that's, that is how collateralized debt works and why it can be used to buy more assets as opposed to buying liabilities. So my car's paid off. I could potentially take a loan out against my car and use that. Yeah. You just have to find someone willing to loan you money and utilize the car as collateral. So you can just go to a bank and be like, yep, what's up? 
Yep. Mm-hmm. It's called, called a refi. Wow. Yeah. So, and oftentimes for lenders, it can be when there's collateral involved, you pledge the collateral. <laughs> <laughs> so the dog has an opinion on it too. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? You pledge the collateral. So you say like, okay, if I don't pay this, you get my thing. Oh, sure. Okay. So that it's why Ben over here said he would only, he would only do collateralized debt. Because yeah. if it's not paid, it. yeah, it's like if I'm gonna lend you twenty grand uh, for your restaurant idea or a million for your restaurant idea, it's just an idea. I don't get anything. But if it's a asset backed loan, collateralized debt, if I'm buying all the equipment for the restaurant, you get that equipment back. I can go sell the equipment and get yeah. get most of my money back. Yeah, so it's way less risky. And so yeah, any bank's gonna do it. Versus a business loan, they're gonna say, no thanks. Yeah, <laughs> we're good. You know. Well, that's a good, you know, because you're trying to mitigate risk, yeah. to, yeah. which is, I think, what, you know, that's what Warren Buffett does, right? He's like, I, I do my best to, to mitigate risk. Yeah. Yeah. I did want to add that the other huge reason to use it, debt, is it's tax-free. It's tax-free cash coming your way, yeah. So, so let's say your car's worth 30 grand and you can you go get a loan for 25, right? Uh, interest rates are 7% right now, so you'll probably get a 7% loan. Um, but your tax bracket is probably much higher than 7%. So if you want to go get 25 grand, make it income-wise, you have to pay 20, 30% mm-hmm. versus 7 Right. So, and when, when, when you're Kiyosaki or someone like that with a lot of money, right, their tax bracket is crazy, yeah. Yeah. right? 40% or whatever. They need to get access to capital as as low tax as possible, right? And so they'd much rather have whatever interest rate debt is because yeah. it's much lower. Yeah. Plus, if it's a business, there's a write off the interest. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. it gotta just r- keeps coming. It just keeps getting better. You just write it off. You just gotta write it off. You just write it off because that's what we do. You just that's what you off. just write it off. Wow. But, but the tax the tax free nature of it is one of I think one of its hidden tools and hidden like superpowers and it's why it's why people do it it's why ceos don't take income because they can just use their stock options as collateral Collateral. and so like they don't pay themselves a paycheck Mm -hmm. they go borrow money yeah zuckerberg's salary is one dollar right yeah something like that yeah is it really Yeah. yeah oh wow (laughs) <laughs> and so if that. he needs money instead of taking a million dollar salary and he paying takes a, he takes a loan against the stock options on on facebook yeah yeah or meta i guess yeah it's a way yeah, better yeah. it's a way better game and then people get mad that he doesn't pay income tax but he doesn't have any income That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 how it's how the system is is designed. it's how you game the system when you're that when you're up that high there, I guess. there's a book called tax-free wealth it's terribly dry okay but he basically says there's about 40 pages in the tax code he's a cpa 40 pages or so in the tax code that tells you how to pay taxes mm-hmm. and the other 2300 pages are how not to pay taxes <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's all there yeah it's just everyone's just doing the w2 or 1099 route yeah so but there's ways around it. Yeah. 
before we move on, let's quickly, I just want to talk about really quick. Would there ever be a reason to take out, let's say for, for, for ease of math, you take out a loan at 5% to invest in something that re- receives 5% interest. So you're taking out a loan that pays that you have to pay back 5% to invest in something of equal interest value. Like, would there be a reason to do something like that? Yeah. I would say the timeline is, is yeah. the factor. You got a 30 year mortgage. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's five, at 5% versus a car loan. Let's just say five years. The payment's going to be a lot higher on a car loan. Okay. So let's say it's uh, 500 bucks versus 1200 bucks. Right. Car loan is 1200 bucks. The mortgage is 500 bucks. Sure. So you kind of have, if you're, if you're, if you're able to get a longer loan, Right, you have this seven hundred dollars of buffer that you can kind of. I guess that's true. The longer the time of the loan, the less you have to pay monthly. Well, and even like when we talk to people about uh, Ben and I have had this conversation, but like when you own a home, it's almost really advantageous, especially if you live in a high tax situation or high property value situation, like in California, to refinance often (laughs) (laughs) because you. You might get, you, it might be a wash as far as interest rate goes, but sometimes you can pick up benefits that aren't related to the, the basics of the loan. Like in the house situation, you pick up tax write-offs mm-hmm. of the property tax. And so in that case, you end up saving money. So your, your loan versus, you know, if you just do it single variable, your loan versus where it goes into is a wash. Mm-hmm. But you pick up money from another thing because of the the nature of those. Sure, you come out ahead. Okay, and so it's it's not always so simple of just looking at those two things. I borrowed at five percent and I'm earning five percent. Right, you might that might be true, or even like I borrowed at five percent and I'm only earning three percent. Yeah, but I'm picking up what it. Equi- it is equivalent to like four or 5% because of how it reduces my taxes or got it or does something else. In the larger math evens makes you come out ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's sort of, yes, it does get a little bit more complex, requires a little bit more strategy. Definitely. But people can pick up, like we've run some scenarios for people that it looks like, you know, yeah, sure. You refinance. So you pick up a new loan and a new payment, but on your taxes, like you pick up sizably more money a month mm. because of your savings. People are afraid right now of high interest mortgages. And what's interesting yes. about that is if they do the math, <laughs> you know, they have so much money in interest on these mortgages that it's a write off. And so standard deduction married, right, is like. 28,000 or so. Mm-hmm. If your itemized deductions, your property tax and your interest on your mortgage and other things is above that, then you get to write that amount off, right? And so on a million dollar house right now at 7%, you might have 50, 60K of interest and write offs. And so if you look at your income and you say, okay, make 200K, now on paper, you only make 140K. You do the math versus not buying a house, you might actually be paying, making $1,000 more a month by having that house Wow! because of the write-offs. Yeah. So, uh, and then again, like my recommendation is in general to always 
look at your mortgage because pretty much every 15 years, your, your, your write-offs are going to be below that standard deduction, and you really want to make sure that you're getting itemized. Because if, if you're not able to itemize, mm-hmm. you can't write off your property taxes. You can't write mm-hmm. off your, your interest on your loan if, if it's lower than the standard. Right. So every 15 years, you know, you've, you've, got, you've chipped away so much at your mortgage, which feels great, mm-hmm. except now it's time to refi, right? Obviously do the math, but time to refi. And then you're also going to probably be sitting on this couple hundred thousand dollar check at the same time. Mm. So you're going to refi. You're going to have a new higher payment, <clears throat> but you're going to be making more money, you're taking mm-hmm. home more. So that payment isn't going to be, even though it's higher, it might not actually be that much higher. Right. But you're also probably going to have 500K in your pocket. Which you can do. That, a lot tax, can happen. Tax, you can do a lot with that. Tax-free. Tax free. Tax-free cash. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a game. And most people just grew up thinking, oh, pay off the home fast. That's exactly it. Yeah. And when homes were not millions of dollars, there wasn't this scenario. Yeah. There wasn't the incentive of like homes in the 80s, like average home price was like 25000 Right. So... A refi and take a thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it didn't. It, it didn't. Yeah. And then also, like the interest rates being like fifteen percent on that, it just didn't. Yeah, it wasn't crazy. Yeah. Whereas in today's economy, like you can refinance every five years, get a lump sum of cash into your pocket, increase your monthly a little bit, but increase your deductions alongside of it, and it kind of nets, and oftentimes will net positive for somebody. And put cash in their pocket, access to capital that then they can use for other things, right. investments, assets, other other sorts of beneficial mm-hmm. financial tools right. that then ultimately start building and building and building. And then as people start doing it more and more, right. then they leverage all that collateral for all kinds of other things. Mm-hmm. And then and then that sort of creates the equation for being set. Yeah. Via debt. <laughs> Which is crazy. Now now let's get into because I have, you know, this is all very exciting and it definitely, like I said, makes me want to very fast. You want to get yourself I want to get yes, I want to very quickly go to the bank and in debt. Real quick. Yeah, yeah, I want to go to the bank and be like, "Hey, here's my car. Give me a check." <laughs> but but and I've also I've I've read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and when you do, it's very inspiring. It does make you want to go on out and buy you know five different properties. Yeah, the and same all that way stuff. Voldemort makes you want to cut up every credit card. It does. It makes yes. you want to like have like. The rhetoric is very good. There's a reason it sells. Yep. Is, there's a reason these books sell as many copies as they do. But um, it's like that picture I sent you that one day from Target of those two books being next to each other on the yeah exactly. Like, this couldn't be more. Could it be more opposite? opposite. And yet yep. there they are uh, rubbing shoulders. Um, let's just for the sake of it talk about where this this can go south really fast. So you get really hopped up on collateralized debt. You have all this money to like buy properties or what have you. How can this go wrong? <laughs> here, here, here's one. You, you. 2008. 2008. 2008. <laughs> yes, and the lot. value of your property dies. That's one. Okay. So here's another one. So people are hot to trot on buying Airbnbs. Oh yeah, that bubble bursted. So if you have an Airbnb in the city that you're in, and this is becoming more and more common. Yes, they have limitations or, or yep. bans. Or bans. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you can't rent out your place via Airbnb. 
So you have to find a, a tenant. So, and we've worked, Ben and I have co-worked on some stuff where the person didn't have a renter. Do you want to explain what happens when you don't have a renter? Dude, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, it's bad. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, what I wanted to get into with that is, is sort of the misconception that diversification can happen in one asset class. So for Kyosaki. That was a big sentence. Okay. That was so diversification okay. so <laughs> in one asset class. Okay, so uh, if you have a hundred properties, are you diversified? Uh, I guess not because all your money's in property. All your money's in property. Yeah. So, so you're diversified from one type of risk, which is business risk. And the business, the risk that your business will not work, as in the tenants paying you mm-hmm. a percentage of them will not um, pay you. Right, so let's say it's ten percent. That's okay if you have a hundred properties because the other ones are are making up for it. Right, but you don't. It's like owning a hotel at that point, you know. Kind of, yeah, yeah. You don't, but what you don't have is you don't have um, uh, market risk. um, What do you call it? The uh, covered, covered. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So you're not protected from market risk. Yeah, you're not diversified. Oh, like like the value of your the the property is so going down. They, all the properties are probably going to go down at the same time. And so now, mm-hmm. if you had you were the plan was to continually take money out and buy a new property, but all of your properties went down. You can't take out the money anymore, mm. potentially. And you still owe the so obligations. You're underwater. All of a sudden, can yeah. be real quick. Yeah. So you know, I uh, you know so. Uh, I love the uncorrelated assets. So buying stocks and real estate, buying several different things, that's diversification because they're uncorrelated. If the stock market goes down, the housing market doesn't have to go down. Oh, yeah. I think this is interesting because when people also think, I think because you're talking about stock markets, when people think about diversifying their portfolio, they think about investing in different stocks of different businesses you know buying tech stock or retail stock or what have you that's what they think of as diversifying but that's not actually diversifying because all your money is still in the one market the stock market whereas truly to diversify you would need money in the stock market money in the housing market and uh, there's actually 16 different types of risk with investments oh wow the sweet 16 and so market and you know, access to capital, like business, these are uh, interest rate risk, foreign policy risk. Like these are all different types of risks that you have to diversify against if you want to have a balanced and true portfolio. Foreign policy risk. Yeah. I never heard of people investing in foreign policy. Before. Well, if you've, if you've got, um, you know, money invested in other countries, sure. Or other well, assets or China says no more iPhones. Oh, there you go. You, you, there you, you go. You get you get screwed. Yeah. If you're in Apple, sure. Like yeah. it, it's a global economy. Yeah. So, yeah. it it's just whatever they decide out there, or we get a war. Mm. So or different so, things. But mm-hmm. back to your question was, how can you get in trouble with this? Right? right. And I think what it is is the leveraging aspect. So what you're doing is you're taking, you know, back to our original scenario of having a half a million dollar or 300,000 of debt on a million dollar house. Okay. So you're, you know, 
you're up basically Mm -hmm. a lot of money but now basically you're you only owe three hundred thousand, and you have a million dollars of property so Mm -hmm. that's that's leveraged right Mm -hmm. but now you're gonna say i'm gonna lessen the leverage right move the fulcrum and basically uh take eight hundred thousand dollar loan of a million dollar property okay so you're not as leveraged right you know um but where does that five hundred thousand go? Does it go into another property that now your leverage is the same? You know, so I think it comes down to to leverage, right? And mm-hmm. so you have to like constantly reassess and rebalance your portfolio. And I think what happens over time is you start off with a uh you know, a Voldemort sort of mentality of zero debt, zero risk, zero leverage. And then try five percent. What does it mean to be 5% leveraged? Mm-hmm. Whereas 5% of good debt, basically right. you, you borrow against your car, right? That's not all your stuff. It's just your car. You take out five grand and you go put it in a brokerage account or, or whatever, you know? So you're leveraged a little bit. And then that money made money, right? Pay back your loan, whatever you want to do. But right. what happens over time is basically in a, in a, a friend of a friend, you know, billionaire real estate investor, and he once he was at the billion dollar mark, he was like, I'm never below 50% leverage. Always. I always have like 60% or higher of debt mm. because he's at, he's, he's learned how to manage it mm-hmm. and he has so much assets that it's, it doesn't even matter at that point. You know? Yeah. I'm sure he also has people help him if he's that, if oh, he's yeah. that, I'm sure yeah. that he has like, he hires financial yeah. planners and advisors to kind of help oh, him yeah. out. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So yeah. But that, that that would be my answer to the question is is if you're over leveraged how much are you yeah. leveraged and 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 that you know is specific to everyone in the sense of what are you comfortable with but then also what actually makes financial yeah. logical sense you sure know? so yeah because like you know with the with the million dollar house you know when if you you know when it's up you and it's like you and the bank, right? You have the upper hand against the bank in that point. You're like, look, I have more value in this house than you do. Mm-hmm. And then when you flip that, when you take out that $500,000, $800,000 loan, now the bank is like, now I have more stake in this house than you yep. do. And so it's kind of like, there's yeah. a there's a weird power structure. There's a power shift also in terms of like, who owns this asset more? You know, like you technically still own it, mm-hmm. but like, you know, the bank is a little, feels a little bit. Well, let's say you, you have know, this million dollar house. Has more leverage, yeah. Paid off. Would you rather have a million dollar house paid off or 800,000 in your bank? In your, in your, yeah, in your bank. And well, I'd rather have the 800,000 for sure to, to yeah. use. Why and, is that? Because of what you learned. <laughs> because of what I learned. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's all very fascinating. You, you know, it's definitely, for someone who grew up very um, risk averse, you know, like my my parents definitely instilled a healthy fear of credit card, like in me and my siblings, and grew up afraid of debt. That this whole journey I'm on with this podcast is very much kind of an eye opening, like oh man, it's actually not. And I've actually grown to kind of like it. I'm a, I'm I'm in I'm playing with debt myself at the moment, and it's kind of fun. And so. 
And so, yeah, the collateralized debt. It's that's when it, that's when debt gets fun. That's when debt can be a lot of fun. Yeah, and it it's not it's not something that a thirty second TikTok video can teach you how to do. No, I, at this point, I've read many a book, and I'm still reading books. I'm reading a book right now that's about wealth and stuff like that. But it it involves kind of debt and, and all that stuff. But but. It's definitely, you definitely have to educate yourself. It is not something you're going to learn through TikTok or through some guru. And sure. it's not something to take lightly because oftentimes the way it's talked about, it's like, oh, it's easy. Oh, it's simple. Like, oh, well, it, it is. It, easy. it always works. Like it is easy to get the loan. It's not, you know, like if yeah. you have the asset, the bank will be very much okay mm-hmm. with giving you the loan. Yeah. The hard part is knowing what to do with the money. And, and knowing that if you put that in something else, what does that do to your situation? Right. Because we've seen where people will, you know, they'll throw it in the stock market in 2007 and then yeah. come out the other side with half as much money, but still the debt obligation. Yeah. And so you can get upside down yeah. quickly. And you wonder why I don't want to invest in the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> You're coming around. You're coming around. I am. I am. I am. I am leaning toward it. I am leaning toward it. Yeah. But that's just where like there's, there's factors and there's things out there that could negatively affect your situation. And if you're not planned for it and able to figure it out and cover it, it could be unwise mm-hmm. to then make that move. That's why it's important to have different people that know how some of this stuff works and yep. can run the numbers and can run the situations and then can sort of set you up to be successful in it. Mm-hmm. And then if it goes south, you're not underwater. You might be underwater for a time, but it doesn't It doesn't ruin you. <laughs> right. It might be scary for a moment. It might yeah. be startling, I should say. Yeah, and but, and, but you have to be able to have the different things set up. I mean, Ben was talking about like, how do you diversify in different areas so that if something happens in like real estate, you're not sunk because everything you got is in real estate and 100% dependent on people paying their rent. Mm -hmm. Like we've been through a season recently where a lot of people did not pay rent or mortgages. That's true. So what happens if the person that's in your place can't pay the rent, but you still owe the bank. Yeah. Not only that, but can legally not pay you the rent. Legally not pay you. You, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah, even yeah. do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. So then you end up in a pickle. So it's it's when you're planned and understand how the different things work, you can set them up and maximize their potential, but also minimize your risk within it. Yeah. So, Well, this sounds like a uh, great, transition into penny for your thoughts ben this is your first time here Mm. so penny for your thoughts is the moment at the end of the segment where we kind of distill everything we talked about and give one final nugget of advice as to what you think about when it comes to embarking on collateralized debt or handling collateralized debt whatever the topic is we'll start with ron and then we can go to you ben ron what's your penny for your thoughts my penny for your thoughts is debt don't just stop at the word debt and make a judgment on debt good, debt bad. Mm-hmm. Understand what, what type of debt are we talking about, how it's being used, and understand how it is a tremendous financial tool and not just something to run, run away from. Because I think a lot of people have heard the term debt, run as far 
away as they can and gotten themselves financially worse off by not leveraging it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sure, they were debt-free, but they might not have been able to really do what they could have done (laughs) with what they have. And so then short short circuit sort of their own financial growth, financial progress. Debt might not be this boogeyman that certain people make it out to be. Yeah. And in some cases, not using debt costs you more money than using it, Mm -hmm. which is wild for people to think about. It is wild. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, what do you have to say about? Yeah. So my penny is all about leverage. I love leverage. I tell my wife about it all the time. I'm like, you got to use leverage. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I just love leverage. But leverage is very simple. You don't need debt to become wealthy, period. But what is leverage, right? Leverage is very simply like if you're holding something out with your arm, Mm -hmm. the further away you hold it out, the less you can hold, Mm -hmm. right? So the closer you are, the more leverage you have. So you can hold a 10-pound weight here, maybe not so much all the way out here. Right. And so all we're doing with leverage is, is explaining, or with collateralized debt, is explaining a way to increase your leverage, which is basically increase how much you can hold and, and accomplish. So you don't necessarily need it. And, and not every scenario warrants it. You know, Interest rates, tax code, situations, investments, they are so variable and they're so specific to every single person that there is no blanket statement advice like this is great this is you know it might not be great might not be for you so but the the concept is just just think about what leverage is you know and so in a in a way yes you're very you know you could be very leveraged it's it's very far that could be a really bad thing right but it more so what could you accomplish if you were a little bit more leveraged than you are today mm-hmm. that's that's kind of the thought. right yeah Okay. And with that, we will leave you to it. We hope you enjoyed this discussion on debt that doesn't feel so soul crushing (laughs) as our last one did. If you have any questions, you can leave it for us in our comments. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to What's Up With Money. We'll continue our conversation in the next episode. But until then, please subscribe to rate and review the show. Giving a rating or review helps other people find the show. So if you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too, please give us a rating, share us on social media, or both. Reviews are also where you can leave us questions. So if you have any financial questions for us, please leave them in the review. We may answer it on the show. We love questions. We'll be back next week to continue our conversation and hopefully get a little bit closer to answering the age-old question, What's What's up up with money? money?